Hello, and welcome to episode 37 of Grace in Progress. My name is Brianna Leach. I'm a wife, a mom of three, and a licensed counselor who loves cool breezes on a hot summer day and fishing with my family. And I firmly believe that if you woke up this morning, then you have a purpose. Thank you for joining me today. If you have been listening for a while, you know we are here to create a safe space for you to learn more about yourself, take small steps to become the person you were created to be, and give yourself lots of grace along the way. And if you are new here, welcome. I am thrilled that you are taking the time to invest in yourself a bit more and so glad to have you here. Today, we are going to continue on a topic that I introduced last time in episode 36 about strong-willed children. And if you have not listened to that episode yet, I would pause this one, go back and listen to that one first, just so you have the groundwork for what I'm going to be addressing. And you will know how I feel about that term, how I feel about calling children strong-willed children. Spoiler alert, not a fan. (laughs) I really want you as a parent, as a caregiver, as someone working with children to do the work and get to know each child individually, what makes them tick, what motivates them. And even if you can't quite figure it out, labeling a child as strong-willed isn't going to work. There's a reason they're either being defiant or really wanting to express their own opinion, or they feel safe enough to fight back. And it's up to you to do the work and meet them where they're at. So today I wanted to dive into more practical tips on dealing with kids who may be more defiant than usual, or like I said, feel comfortable challenging your authority. So they're are always going to be those moments, no matter what child you come across. Very rarely would you find a child who obeys 100% of the time the first time. If you do, congratulations, because that's a unicorn. So, (laughs) But my first action step I want you to do when you're thinking of this child, if strong-willed is the first characteristic that pops into your head, I want you to replace it. Dig a little deeper. What is a defining character trait that you could bump to the top of the list for this child. Because if strong-willed is your default for this child, you're already creating an uphill battle. I remember thinking that my firstborn child, my son, was defiant or characteristically strong-willed, I guess, as much as I don't like that term. And then I had my second son. (laughs) And I realized, wow, they come from the same place, but they are completely different. And I had no idea how defiant one little boy could be. And it forced me to take a step back and think about my perspective as a counselor. So it's really hard to be objective with your own children, but imagining it's someone else's child and you think, okay, I used to go into homes and helping people with kids that were diagnosed with oppositional defiant disorder and conduct disorder and ADHD and different diagnoses that would lead to defiant behavior. In my own home, I don't know why I assumed they would just come out compliant and go along with everything I said, (laughs) but that was not the case. So with my younger son, I quickly learned he just looked at the world differently. He was inquisitive. He's one of those people, okay, you're telling me to do this, but why? You know, and there's a time for that. And there's other times, you know, if you're in danger, you can't question it. But realizing that some of his defiance or 
delayed obedience wasn't always just wanting to buck the system. It was that he was curious. He wanted to understand how things work. And he didn't view the world the way we did as far as if I need to just go from point A to point B, he wants to take the outer loop. He wants to go the road less traveled. And that's just his personality, even all these years later. So when I replaced strong-willed for him with inherently curious, passionate about justice and people being treated fairly, it was easier for me to empathize with him in those moments of just not understanding why he's being told to do something a completely different way than he naturally sees it. And I love that now I also have a daughter who is very similar, but unique in her own way too. She is a natural negotiator. We say she has a bright future in law (laughs) or social justice and making sure to stand up for what's right. But looking at all three of my kids uniquely, honestly, being an intentional parent is exhausting. I'm not going to lie. It is a full-time job just to try to get to know these humans that have been assigned to me And to not put them in a box. It's so easy to just say, oh, there's the quiet one. There's the outgoing one. There's the one who always defies us. You know, I'm guilty of it. I'm sure you're guilty of it. No matter what role you're in, it's just easier to label a kid. But that's what my goal is for you to not rely on a label like strong-willed. To dig deeper with each child that you're working with or that is under your care and to be able to celebrate what makes them unique. So the first step is to replace strong-willed with a different adjective. Maybe it's determined. Maybe it's inherently curious. Maybe it's very bright and creative. Maybe it's road less traveled. You know, something with your child that you're thinking of in your head right now, when you clicked on this episode of Strong-Willed Children, I want you to come up with Maybe not just one, but as many as you can, positive traits that describe this child. Because I guarantee when the default is positive, you're going to add a little bit more padding or grace whenever you're responding to this child. So once you've done that, we'll move into some practical tips of caring for and working with this child. So number one, give options as much as possible. Children who are naturally defiant long to be a part of the decision-making process. None of us like control taken away. So when possible, give options, clothing choices, restaurants, food, activities. If you're okay with both choices, you have nothing to lose. So set it up for success on your end as far as you can wear the pink shirt or the red shirt. I'm fine with both shirts. But when she gets a chance to make that decision, she feels empowered. Science shows it boost their creativity and their confidence. So give options whenever possible. Number two, always follow through. When it comes to consequences, when it comes to promises that you've made, children who are naturally desiring control will look for holes in your credibility. (laughs) Sounds like some kind of defense technique, but kids remember, they remember what you say. So if you say, if you're going to do this one more time, I'm going to apply this consequence, do it. It is consistency, not convenience. I know it's not always easy to follow through. Sometimes it inconveniences us, but always follow through. 
That's what will stick. That's what will create the pattern for this child to understand you're the adult, they're the child, you can work together. Number three, say yes as much as possible. This isn't some kind of, you know, Jedi mind trick or anything, but even when you're responding no to a situation or not right now, you can still use the word yes. And I'm not saying eliminate no. I know that's a theory or an approach that some people do. But if your child says, can I have a lollipop? You could say yes after you finish your dinner or yes once you're buckled in your seat and you're making good choices or whatever the situation. In this case, use 555 as much as possible. I have an entire episode about it, but the premise is, will this matter in five minutes, five months, five years? And if it's not going to matter, say yes as much as possible. Because again, it empowers them. I've read about how the more you say no, the less likely they are to hear it. So you reserve no for the serious times so that it sticks more. Number four, help this child understand his or her emotions. Children are humans in a very small form, and we are gifted with a plethora of emotions, and we don't come out the gate understanding them all. Even as adults, we still have to process and kind of dig through our emotions at times. Children need it tenfold. So the more you can empower this child to communicate through words and through positive actions, the less likely you're going to butt heads over miscommunication or not understanding each other. Like I said, my younger son, he tended to, and still tends to, have explosive moments where he's so frustrated that we don't understand what he's trying to say or what he's trying to do that the more we taught him, hey, what you're feeling right now, anger, what you're feeling right now, regret, the naming the emotions as he's experiencing them, because our entire goal as parents and caregivers is to train humans how to be a human. The more you can teach these kids how to name and accept or understand the emotions as they're feeling them, the more empowered they will feel to communicate with you. And so many conflicts can be avoided completely. And that's what's happened with our son. He has gotten better at, I'm really angry. I need to go to my room and have some quiet time. So he understands I'm going to probably blow up, so I need to remove myself from this situation. It's not foolproof, but it's definitely a step in the right direction. Number five, what you repeat will get remembered. In our house, we have so many mottos or slogans or mantras, I guess. And it's funny because they kind of started by accident when our kids were really little. But I did this in counseling, too. You start a saying and then the child repeats it so that they know this is ingrained in who we are as a family, who we are in a counseling session. But some of the examples that we use on a pretty much daily basis would include obey right away without delay. That's one of them. We say good things happen to those who obey. We say when you obey, good things happen. When you disobey, bad things happen. And when you hear a little two-year-old who has just disobeyed and broken a toy or something happened, and you say, when you disobey, and then they finish it with bad things happen, we kind of just reiterate, it's not a value judgment. It's just, unfortunately, this is cause and effect. And you're learning it at a very early age. Even as an adult, when you disobey the law, bad things happen. So maybe you already have some of these in your home or in your workplace, but 
different sayings that you can come up with. There's no perfect one that's going to make them miraculously start obeying you every time. But the more they kind of get into their mind, this is what's expected of me. This is what's expected in this particular environment. And even what you repeat gets remembered with your job titles. So as a mom and and my husband as well, we, we tell the kids we have three jobs and they from a very young age have had to repeat it back to us because I think in some way it helps us kind of defer to, hey, bud, I'm just doing my job. But we always say, number one, our job is to protect you. Number two, our job is to teach you to honor God. And number three, our job is to teach you to make good choices. So hearing it out of my four-year-old's mouth saying, when I say, sweetie, I'm doing my job. What's my number one job? And she says to protect me. So she knows if I'm getting onto her for running out into the road, I'm doing my job. It's not that I think something's wrong with her, but I'm trying to protect her and help her make good choices. So what you repeat gets remembered. And the final one, number six, like I said earlier, being an intentional parent is exhausting. So practice self-care. I have a few different episodes about self-care and how you can apply it to your daily life. But in the role of caregiver, of parent, of teacher, you cannot pour from an empty cup. So practicing self-care is just as much of an important parenting technique as any of these others. I don't know about you, but when I'm on edge, when I'm on E, everything my kids do is more frustrating. (laughs) And it's not their fault. That's on me. I haven't been using the oxygen mask for myself first before I try to put it on them. So practice self-care because being an intentional parent is very tiring, but it's so rewarding. So to recap, let's go back over the six. Number one, give options whenever possible. Number two, always follow through, whether it be consequences or a promise. Number three, say yes as much as possible. Number four, help your child understand and identify his or her emotions. Number five, what you repeat will be remembered. Number six, being an intentional parent is exhausting. Practice self-care. There's so much more to this conversation that I would love to dive into, but for today, I'm going to wrap it up. And if this is something you'd like to hear more about, please let me know. It's something I've talked to different MOPS groups and different parenting groups about, and even in my own practice. And I love equipping parents to work with kids or teachers in a caregiver setting to understand and work with children who may seem strong-willed when in reality, There are so many other beautiful attributes to them. And even those who wouldn't be labeled as strong-willed will still be defiant at times. So knowing how to work with a child in those situations can strengthen your relationship and empower the child to continue to grow and be the awesome child that they are. I hope you have a wonderful week ahead. And as always, you've got this and I'm cheering you on. Thanks for listening.